0: Well, good morning, ladies. It's great to be together. Um, I'm Carmen Garrigan. Um, I I am a minister of uh, Word and Sacrament in our denomination, but my current ministry, um, my husband and I serve with a missionary organization called Missionary Air Group, um, and our headquarters is in Burlington, and that's where we serve. But most of all, I love Jesus and his word, and I'm just um, grateful to be able to spend the time thinking about Jesus and his word to us this morning. So our chapters this morning of Genesis 34 through 36 lead us again into those murky waters where God's sovereignty overcomes human sin. Jen Wilkins does a helpful job of working through the tragedy of Dina's rape and the subsequent slaughter as her brothers Levi and Simeon resort to trickery and revenge to defend their sister's honor. As Jacob is still kind of the the central uh, figure in these passages, he's kind of absent and not very helpful, as in the midst of this whole mess, he does not call upon the Lord, and we do not have any mention of God in chapter 34. But thankfully, God is still at work, and even despite the failings and the inadequacies of Jacob, And as not to duplicate Jen Wilkins' talk, um, like to focus on some different themes this morning to really think about how God is moving and working and revealing and calling himself uh, a people to himself uh, through these these passages. So as a contrast to God's faithfulness, the laundry list of Jacob's sins and inadequacies is substantial. To set the stage, Jacob's slow obedience to go where God had asked, is what puts his family in this place of danger. And then we see again the detrimental effects of his favoritism towards Rachel and her children. For whatever reason, Dina, daughter of Leah, is unaccompanied and unprotected as she goes into town, and this makes her vulnerable to Shechem's lust. So following her humiliation, her father does not seek restitution for the sins committed against her, but instead leaves the matter and the negotiation to her brothers. And so even though Shechem's treatment of Dina is inexcusable, he actually, in retrospect, obeys Israel's law better than God's own people. There's a provision in Deuteronomy for a woman who has been violated, that the one who has sinned against her must pay the father the bride price, and must take her as a wife and never divorce her. So this may seem really cruel in our eyes. Um, This was a protection to women as only virgins were considered for marriage, and so this was a way to protect her further. Jacob's lack of spiritual leadership for the sons of his least favorite wife comes to a head here in Genesis 34. As they make a false bargain with Hamor and Shechem, they have followed in their father's footsteps of deceit and trickery. Even worse, they have mistreated the covenant sign of God, something that God has given to declare that these people belong to him. And so at first we think maybe their efforts are evangelistic. They wanna bring Shechem and his inhabitants into the worship of the one true God of Israel. As in Exodus 12.48, there's a provision for non-Israelites to join God's people through the covenant of circumcision. And so for them, it is also a sign that they are submitting to Israel's God. But Simeon and Levi do not have evangelism in mind. Deceit is in their mind from the beginning. And Shechem is not, also, is not interested in Israel's God, but instead in the wealth of Jacob's sons when he agrees to circumcision for himself and for the males of his town, not in their submission to God. And so God's covenant sign is profaned. Still, in the midst of all these inadequacies of Jacob and his sons, God is at work. God had declared his intention to have a distinct people who follow him and to receive his blessings and their actions have again put this at risk. Like Lot's proximity to Sodom and Gomorrah put his family at risk, the choice for Jacob to settle to Shechem instead of going just another day to Bethel, um, probably just for the convenience of trade happening in the area, puts his family at risk. As we saw, that Lot was not concerned with protecting his vulnerable daughter, neither is Jacob. Shechem offers land to Jacob's offspring but the cost of intermarriage with pagans is not a part of God's plan to secure their place in the land. This offer to buy, this, um, the offer to buy God's promised gift must have been really tempting as they, they get a piece of land from the beginning because this is the land that God had promised them after all. Um, but just as Jesus had to deny Satan's offer to give him the kingdoms of the world without the cross, we must always be on guard not to shortcut God's path to the gifts he wants to give us. So even though Simeon and Levi's revenge went way too far and that was not God's purpose for them, God does still protect his chosen family and the covenant that he has made with them. Finally, when we come to Genesis 35, we have a welcome reprieve and some good news. God makes a request of Jacob and Jacob obeys both in heart and in action. Yay! Yay. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. And finally, Jacob's response is wholehearted. He even leads those in his household to authentic worship as he commands them to be rid of their foreign gods and to purify themselves. Why this wasn't in his mind before, we're not sure, but we're glad he finally gets there. And God does reward their obedience and submission to his plan. Before we had seen the patriarchs as they're going through hostile territory, resulting into trickery and lies in order to have protection. But instead, we see God's hand upon them as the terror of God falls upon the towns that surround them as they travel. They are given the protection of the Lord the same protection that God had always promised, but they finally live into it. And then, having arrived at Bethel, God graciously reaffirms his covenant with Jacob. The promise given to Abraham and Isaac has been passed to him and his descendants. He is given the same opportunity that in the beginning of creation Adam was given, to be fruitful, to have dominion, and to have his royal descendants over the land that God will give them. And as Adam set aside his full inheritance for the fleeting pleasures of sin, so will the descendants of Jacob fail to lay a hold of all that God has offered. Except, of course, for the last Adam, the most important of all of Jacob's descendants, Jesus the Christ. But even though he's a way off, for now, even though there has been many threats to God's promise, a blessing, fruitfulness and a good land, God's covenant is still secure and it is being passed along from generation to generation. And as Abraham and Isaac had to each learn to wholly trust God, Jacob has grown so much in his own journey of faith and obedience. The God of his grandfather and father is also his God now. There are so many beautiful echoes of God's faithfulness in this encounter at Bethel. Just as God had changed Abram's name in Genesis 17 to Abraham, God is reminding Jacob of his new identity. He is no longer to be Jacob, but Israel. The focus shifts from how Jacob relates to other humans in trickery and deceit, to instead how Israel relates to God and God to Israel. There is struggle, there is wrestling, but over it all, there is an enduring covenant that God is committed to keeping. And so this is, even though we'll continue to see Jacob throughout the rest of Genesis, this is sort of the climax for his life. And as they think about God's covenant promises to these people. And so at this important juncture in Genesis, this is where the covenant stands. It's good news. Jacob has returned to the land. Jacob and his people have gotten rid of their foreign gods. They have purified themselves. Jacob's name has been changed to Israel. He and his descendants are in line to inherit the covenant blessings. And Jacob's family has an enduring tie to the land through the altar that Jacob has constructed and the pillar at Bethel and Rachel's tomb. And the family has been fruitful and continues to expand. And despite the desperate scrapes they have gotten themselves into, Everything that God had promised them 200 years ago is still intact. God's faithful sovereignty over their story and their lives is unshakable. The other echo we have from Abraham here in uh, Jacob's story in Genesis 35, 11, is how God reveals himself through the same name that God had revealed himself to Abraham in Genesis 17, El Shaddai. El Shaddai is translated throughout the Old Testament as God Almighty. The name is used 48 times in the Old Testament and is used most frequently in the book of Job. There are rich layers of meaning to the name El Shaddai. It denotes God as the one who overcomes and overpowers. It emphasizes God's all sufficiency and completeness. And this name also highlights God's ability to nurture protect, and to make his people fruitful. God Almighty is the one who is able to completely satisfy. One of the features I love from today's passage is how God Almighty is able to overcome Jacob. Israel is the one who struggles with God, and God is able to overpower his every struggle. When God Almighty, El Shaddai, reveals himself to Abraham in Genesis 17, the call is to walk blamelessly and faithfully with God. And then Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob stumble wildly in this summons. But still, God's covenant faithfulness overpowers them and their mistakes. In God's mercy and grace, his covenant people are forged and formed out of this very struggle. We certainly see in Job's story how he contended with God and God's plans for his life, yet ultimately he knew God to be El Shaddai. And so I find this wonderfully comforting to know that El Shaddai is the one who overcomes our struggles and our wrestling. Like Jacob, we can wrestle with God through the night and still make our way to a place of worship, submission, and faithfulness, along with the fruitfulness he promises. Jacob has learned that God is the one who answers him in his day of distress and has been with him wherever he has gone. This trickster can't outwit God or flee from his presence. He is truly the God who overpowers in all the best ways. El Shaddai is the faithful one who has contended for Israel's greatness. And so Israel's history with God invites us to reflect on our own history with the almighty God. So here's a couple questions for reflection that you can think about maybe later with your groups as well. When has God encountered us and sought a deeper relationship with us? In God's encounter, did we say yes? Or like Jacob, did we take a detour? And then when has God given us a new identity? And then following that new identity, when have we fallen back into our old selves instead of living into our new name? And then how is it comforting to know that the God who contended for Israel's greatness is the same God who contends for our walk with him? Thankfully, Jacob isn't the only one who is offered a new identity in the Lord. And so I want to spend just the rest of our time reflecting a little bit about the identity that we have been given in Jesus. God indeed brought into being a great king through Jacob's line. Jesus would be the one who would walk with faithfulness and blamelessness all the days of his life. And through his perfection in both life and in death, we are given every good promise that God has to offer. Almighty God invites us to bury every idol that offers us false security and false comfort and to put our trust in him alone. So when we do, when we put our trust in Christ, we are given a new identity. And here are just a few of the things that we can say are true about ourselves when we belong to Christ. I am alive with Christ. I am free from the law of sin and death. I have the mind of Christ. I have the peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding. The spirit of God who is greater than the enemy in the world lives in me. I have received the spirit of wisdom and revelation. The eyes of my heart have been opened so that I may have the hope of having life in Christ. I have received the power of the Holy Spirit and he can do miraculous things in and through me. I have authority and power over the enemy in this world. God supplies all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I can be content in every situation through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. I am God's workmanship, created in Christ to do good works that he has prepared for me to do. I am a new creation in Christ. The light of God's truth has shone in my heart. As I hear God's word and do what it says, I am blessed in my actions. I am a joint heir with Christ. I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. I am an ambassador for Christ. I am part of a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a purchased people. My life is rooted in Christ and I overflow with thanksgiving for all that he has done for me. I am healed and made whole in Jesus. I am saved by God's grace, raised up with Christ and seated with him in heavenly places. I am not ruled by fear because the Holy Spirit lives in me and gives me his power, love and self-control. I am greatly loved by God and I know these things are true of you as well let's pray Heavenly Father we are so in awe of your faithfulness we may falter we may wander but you never do your promises and purposes remain firm from generation to generation (coughs) We praise you for being the God of covenant. You are the all-powerful God who is able to sustain and bless your people. Help us to be a people who know your word and your power and to humbly respond, who humbly submit ourselves to your perfect care. We thank you for the identity that we have received through your perfect work on our behalf. Help us to never back away from your transforming love. Increase our trust in your perfect ways for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.